Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm getting married today. I'm also a firefighter and first responder. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can make it to my ceremony to start the next chapter of my life. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Megan Kelly, welcome to the Megan Kelly Show. Oh my God, we, we're going to have a great show. I'm just, I'm overwhelmed by the amount of information that's been coming in to me just in the last few minutes and excited to bring it to you. Um, thrilled that later in the program, two of our favorites, Adam Carolla and Mark Garagos, will be here together. As you may know, they host a podcast called Reasonable Doubt, and it's super fun to listen to. And we're going to talk legal issues and more, including the fact that President Trump is now suing Garagos's old employer sort of. He obviously has a very successful law practice, but he was a CNN contributor for a long time. Trump's now suing CNN for $425 million. We'll talk about why and what we think of the case legally. But we begin today with my friend Dave Rubin. There is continued fallout in Florida, Dave's new home state. He left California like so many. Um, now in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian, with the left trying to cover for Vice President Kamala Harris's absurd and unconstitutional equity comments about how relief will be distributed in the wake of these tragedies. Meanwhile, there's some serious drama happening in the state next to Florida as the Georgia Senate race gets a very big October surprise, two of them kind of. Joining me now is the host of The Rubin Report and new father, Dave Rubin. NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Dave, welcome back to the show. Megan, it's good to see you. It's been a couple months. We have not spoken in a while. And then we end up doing all this publicly instead of privately. And <laughs> I know. you never know what's going to happen. How are you, Papa? I, so we got one out of two has arrived. We got, we got one out of two. Justin is nine weeks old. It, it's really been wonderful. He's a good baby. 85th percentile in height and weight. So he's going to be a uh, NBA power forward. And uh, baby two is being induced in two days on Thursday. She's basically, our surrogate's basically at 40 weeks now. 
So the oh, doctor is ready to do it. And, uh, you know, I'll sleep sometime in 2026, I suppose. That's right. That's right. That's what they always say. Well, you sleep when you're dead. And I always tell people if I've been drinking and I say that, please put me to bed right away. No, I don't. That's <laughs> but when you have a baby, it's real. So wait now. Did you get the baby? Justin Jordan, you told me earlier is his name, which I love. Why yeah. you can tell us why. Yeah. So uh, Justin, well, we chose the name Justin because uh, David, my husband's parents, uh, had a first child named Justin who died of a heart uh, condition when he was about six mm-hmm. months old. So our Justin is, in essence, named for his his uncle, who unfortunately he'll never get to meet. And then Jordan is in honor of Jordan Peterson, who, of course, not only my friend and mentor, but someone who I, I toured with for years and really was influential in in me coming around and, and making the decision at the ripe old age of 46 to actually go ahead and have kids. So uh, Jordan Aww. was very happy when we when we told him that. I love it. All right. So you're not going to share the pictures publicly, but I will confess to the audience. I've seen a few and this may be yeah. the most beautiful baby ever. He's spectacular. He's a cute kid. He's a cute kid. Oh my God. So did you get him right away? Did you get him like day one? Yeah. 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 We were at the hospital for, for the birth. So it's all right there. You know, the surrogacy thing is a wild conversation, probably for another show. We could do a couple hours on it. There's, there's so many complex issues and there's moral and ethical issues around surrogacy and egg donation and all of those things. And, and they're, they can be really hard things to talk about in a lot of ways. Uh, But this whole experience has been amazing. The, The two women who are surrogates, you know, they believe that they, uh, and we've had long conversations with them about this, that they have a gift that they're able to carry children and not every couple can have children. And if people want to do it, it's, it's an incredible opportunity for them. Um, and it's obviously been an incredible opportunity for us. And we now have these lifelong friends and, uh, it's, it's really been, it's been something. Oh, listen, I mean, these babies have it made. They're going into a super loving home with smart, caring, involved parents. I think uh, I'm thrilled for all four of you. And uh, little does your your first little guy, Justin, know what's about to come his way. <laughs> I feel <laughs> like Megan, I'm thinking I should, about. I should tell you, you know this already, of course, as as a mom. Uh, but waking up and uh, spending a couple minutes with a baby in your arm instead of uh, Twitter in your hand, a uh, much yeah. better way to start the day. Yeah, it's true. I was texting with a friend of mine. Um, he's actually actually out in Sky News, Australia, Paul Murray. And, and he was saying something like um, he sent me something and I didn't get back to him because I'm a bad texter. And I wrote back saying, I'm sorry, I'm just a slow texter. And he said, no, you're a mature adult who doesn't spend her entire day on <laughs> your phone and on Twitter. I'm like, you know, that's true, too. So thank you for noticing. Uh, but I will warn you, Dave, because, you know, we had thunder and thunder. And I just realized these are dogs, not little boys, but we had thunder yeah. and thunder was so good. And she was like the perfect dog. We we're like, we need another one. And then we brought in Mr. Strudwick and lives changed dramatically. And now thunder gives everybody the look when they come into the house, like, help me, help me, I'm a tormentor. <laughs> so let's hope Justin doesn't have that in store for him when baby number two gets here. That is my hope. Although uh, our dog, Clyde, who you've met a couple of times, you know, we were a little worried because he's pretty rambunctious and he's a boxer. He's got a ton of energy. And, you know, boxers are known. They're called boxers. A lot of people don't know this. They think it's because they have sort of a boxy like head. But it's actually because when they jump, they punch. They actually kind of jump and punch you like a boxer. So we were a little worried that Clyde was going to be nuts with him. But he has been absolutely amazing. He lays by the crib. And if he's crying, he goes and gets us like he's really something else. So it's been nice. 
Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm thrilled you're here and capable of putting two sentences together uh, with a new baby in the <laughs> well, house. Well, let's and see. We'll, we'll see how you do. Yeah, like yeah. one month from now, we'll, we'll keep putting it to the test and see how you do. But there is a lot to go over. So let's get to it. Yeah. The thing in Florida, your new home is absolutely insane. We've talked we talked about it yesterday, but just to update the audience who didn't hear it, Kamala Harris went out there being interviewed by preeminent journalist Priyanka Chopra, <laughs> who's OK, <laughs> not not exactly. Um, Edward R. Murrow, and um, really wanted to get to the bottom of how, of course, climate change caused Hurricane Ian or something to that effect. And Kamala Harris saw it as an opportunity to say that uh, equity, equity is going to be really important in directing relief funds um, because not everybody starts in the same place, blah, blah, blah. Okay, you've heard it yesterday. Now, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre over at the White House has been peppered with questions about this because the head of FEMA had to come out and say, she's an idiot. That's my paraphrase. <laughs> <laughs> had a FEMA came and said that that's not what we're doing at all. The communities that have been hard hit are the ones that are going to get the resources, not the black communities, not the white communities. We don't look at that down here. And now Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked about it. And here's how she tried to handle and spin SOP 2. Aboard Air Force One on the way down to Puerto Rico, the press secretary clarified. We are committed to quickly getting resources to all communities impacted, period, full stop. Uh, but we also know that some people, particularly in lower income communities, have a hard time accessing that help. And that is more in line with what we've been seeing and hearing from FEMA officials talking about their responses in the U.S. mainland and also down in Puerto Rico. Okay. So the White House is basically saying she doesn't know what she's talking about. But Kamala Harris refuses to correct herself or take ownership for her stupid ass comment. So what do we make of that? Oh, <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were throwing to her, uh, ignoring oh. a reporter. OK, that was me no. pretending I'm Kamala Harris getting a hard question. Um, <laughs> yes, it is actually th this incident with her and her answer is one of the most disgusting things I've ever heard a public official say. There's so much to it. First off, she specifically said equity related to communities of color. It's her words. We've played the unedited clip on my show probably 20 times in the last two days. That's what she said. Not everybody starts off at the same place. Now, that's true, by the way. The promise of America is not that we all start off in exactly the same place. Some people are born rich. Some people are born handicapped. Some people are born in broken families. Some people are born poor. Some rich people become poor. Some poor people become rich. That's what the magic of freedom is all about, that you've got a chance to pursue happiness. So first off, she says equity related to communities of color. So you've got this. We all start off in the, in the same place. That's what she wants. What she said at the end was even more dangerous than the, the equity part related to color, though. She said we, so that we all end up in the same place. What is that? I mean, I mean, Megan, really try to think what a radically anti-American statement that is, that we all end up in the same place. It's, it's anti-human, actually. I mean, whether you are a good, upstanding citizen, whether you work hard, whether you know how to innovate, whether you're in a good community, these are all the things that you should try to do in your own life so that you end up wherever you want to end up, or at least yeah. on the quest to get there. So she really came out not only, I, I honestly believe as a racist, racism is in her DNA in that she wants to help certain people by the color of their skin, thus punish other people by the color of their skin. But she also really came out as a communist. What would a, what would a communist or a socialist want? They would want everyone to get the exact same stuff handed to them by the government. So as someone uh, in my locals community pointed out this morning who grew up in, in uh, communist 
Poland uh, that the in her building when she was growing up, the doctor and the janitor and the electrician and the car salesman all lived in the exact same unit. They all had the exact same stuff. That's what communism is. And what Kamala also is not acknowledging there, of course, is that she means everyone will get the exact same stuff. She means that for the peasants like us, not for the elites like her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I'll play it now because we, we're really getting into analyzing it on an intricate detail. And you're right about everything you said. Here she is. This is soundbite one with a little bit more context added in the lead up to her controversial comment. Back when I was district attorney of San Francisco, I was elected in 2003. I started one of the first environmental justice units of any DA's office in the country focused on this issue. And in particular on the disparities, as you have described rightly, which is that it is our um, lowest income communities and our communities of color that are most impacted by these extreme conditions and, and impacted by, by issues that are not of their own making. And, and so women. we, absolutely. And, and so we have to address this in a way that is about giving resources based on equity, understanding that we, we fight for equality, but we also need to fight for equity, understanding not everyone starts out at the same place. And if we want people to be in an equal place, sometimes we have to take into account those disparities um, and, and do that work. There it is. If we want people to be in an equal place, that's that's no one promised you that no one ever promised you that go someplace else. If you think you have a guarantee to wind up in an equal place to everybody else. Megan, you know what? You bust your butt. You do a fine job and have been in a, an excellent uh, reporter and commentator and, and everything else that you do for, for decades. Now, you deserve everything that you've got. And no one has a right to take that away from you. And that that is why I say it's anti-human when they make these arguments that we will all end up in the same place. And by the way, uh, that communities of color are most impacted. Uh, I happen to live in Miami, which is Southeast Florida. So we were spared this hurricane, uh, but I've spent a ton of time throughout my life in Southwest Florida. My grandmother had a place on Sanibel, a little condo. That's the barrier island that got completely decimated. Mm-hmm. Uh, she got moved down there in the early 1970s before the bridge, which is now destroyed, uh, even existed. My parents have taken over the condo. The whole island is wrecked. There were trailer park communities on that island. I've been going down there for my whole life, 46 years. I never once thought about the color of anyone's skin. There were blue collar people. There are some people that have you know a nice amount of money and live in in houses on the beach, but there are plenty of people in little one bedroom condos that come down you know, from Minnesota uh, you know, for that are the snowbirds that come down when it's winter up there. So it's like, this has nothing to do with skin color. But when you choose this set of ideas, when you believe that the woke ideology is the thing that is above us more than anything else, you will come off as a racist all the time. So she thinks she's saying something good, but you know what, for all those people that are down there with wrecked houses and that have lost everything, uh, I don't really think they, I don't think the hurricane was like, yeah, we're going to take out that house because they're black and we're going to leave those people because they're white. It's it's such nonsense. Well, she's not the only Democrat who's coming out when they're full racist swing this week. Nancy Pelosi, a leader over in the House, at least for now, uh, comes out and, you know, she's pro immigration. Of course, she gives the tip of the hat of like, of course, we need to have a secure border, but we really need to get those immigrants here because who the hell else is going to pick the crops? All right. Here she is. Uh, soundbite six. We have a shortage of workers in our country. And you see, even in Florida, 
some of the farmers and the growers saying, why are you shipping these uh, immigrants uh, up north? We need them to pick the crops down here. Okay. So we the reason we need immigrants to come in is we need crop pickers. None of these people is going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a scientist. They're going to do menial manual labor. And that's why we need them, because God knows I, Queen Nancy Pelosi, will not be touching the lawn. Well, it's so interesting because they completely want this thing both ways. Usually they'll tell us, no, we should bring these people because they are lawyers and doctors and all of these other things. Now, when push came to shove, suddenly, no, they're the ones who have to pick our crops. First off, I can tell you as a new Floridian, there everything here is exploding in the, in a good sense, meaning uh, it's probably not the right choice of words in light of what happened, but the, that the economy is is doing incredibly well here. People are hiring left and right. People are spending money. Every store and restaurant across the state is packed. For her to say, you know, she also said immigrants, which the implication that these people are immigrants would imply that they are here legally, right? Mm-hmm. But they are mm-hmm. not legal immigrants. These these 50 people that were shipped to Martha's Vineyard and then summarily booted out within 48 hours because that's how tolerant these love is love people are. Um, she should have said these are illegal aliens. They have broken the law by being here in the first place. Now, we can have a, an honest conversation about what our immigration policy should look like and how many people should come here and do we need certain people to do certain jobs. We can have all of those conversations. Unfortunately, we can't right now because the border is basically open. And as you know, something like two million people have already come across the border illegally in this past year. So everything they say is a lie. And and maybe she just wants more people to stock her her twin uh, sub-zero fridges with uh, ice cream again. Undoubtedly, that is what she is looking for. But I do, I do love it because, of course, the people who accuse the right of being racist all the time say the most racist things every other day and they never get called out on it. That leads me to Joe Biden, who, if you didn't know, he was basically raised by Puerto Ricans. <laughs> I cracked up on my show at this one this morning. I mean, it's just is this the best this story is, of the week. Be- I think you're going to throw it in the clip, I hope. But this one might yes. even be better than Hillary and the hot sauce. It's so idiotic. <laughs> Here's Joe Biden talking about how he basically is a Puerto Rican. <laughs> Listen. And so I, uh, I uh, was sort of raised uh, in the Puerto Rican community at home politically. He was raised politically by the Puerto Rican at home, community at home. Um, what he doesn't does that mean? That- mean? It means <laughs> doesn't- nothing. Everything this man says is meaningless dribble that he is either making up stories of corn pop or he's reading <laughs> off that teleprompter poorly. Uh, Megan, did you catch uh, Dr. Jill Biden behind him there? You can see her body language as he talks. Cause she's she like, we call them little he- tacos. We call them yeah. little tacos. We don't we don't refer to them as Puerto Ricans. That's her. But speaking of racist Democrats, remember? It's just so, yeah. so cute, yeah, yeah, like yeah, a yeah. little taco. She, she has her little tacos. Hillary carries hot sauce in her bag. AOC has a different accent when she talks to black people. But we're the racists. You gotta love it. <laughs> So, by the way, I'm trying to find my numbers. So uh, we pulled the numbers on Delaware and the Puerto Rican population there just to see if I was sort of raised in the Puerto Rican community is true. (laughs) And here are the numbers. Okay, Um, 
<laughs> also, okay, wasn't he raised in, 19- in Scranton? Isn't his whole thing that he's from Scranton? That's in Pennsylvania. Right, exactly. Okay, but he says politically, so we'll give him that. We'll age him up a little bit, okay? Because uh, he says politically. He, I was sort of raised in the Puerto Rican community at home politically. All right, so he was first elected to the U.S. Senate in 1972. According to the 1970 U.S. Census, Delaware had about 2,100 people who were either born in Puerto Rico or descended from Puerto Rican parents. That was roughly zero point three nine percent of the population that was zero percent of the of the population of delaware which was five hundred and fifty thousand people at the time in 1980 when he served his second term in the u.s senate uh the the puerto rican population in delaware had reached a whopping 4800 people which is zero point eight percent of the state's population (laughs) so so there were zero percent Puerto Ricans in his state, but somehow he managed to find them and be raised by them, politically speaking, Dave. It was as if his parents dropped him off at a bodega and said, little Joey, <laughs> learn from these people. It's so nonsensical. But isn't it isn't it interesting, Megan? Like if you really took it, I think most people know this in a certain way, but I've really been trying to just say it cleanly and clearly lately. If you just took away all of their racial pandering, what else do they have left at this point? Yeah. What policy does Joe Biden have? What policy does Kamala Harris have, uh, Nancy Pelosi? Virtually at this point, almost any Democrat official, and I would love to find one who is a throwback to an Ed Koch or a Daniel Patrick Moynihan or a JFK, but what else do they have besides racial pandering? They mm. pretty much have nothing, and that actually explains why, uh, as I'm sure you've been covering as well, the, the numbers for the Latino community right now are completely breaking for the Democrats. I mean, there is a massive shift towards the Republican Party, which was really indicated, you know, a couple months ago when Myra Flores, uh, who won uh, the first Republican seat in a Democrat controlled district in a Texas border town mm-hmm. in something like 100 years. So mm-hmm. people are waking up to this stuff because it's just become to a so obvious, agent. so obvious. Um, OK, so Nancy Pelosi had more things to say. She went on, I think, with Colbert last night and made the following bold prediction. Dave, listen here. What is your prediction for the election that's a little bit more than a month away? Madam Speaker, you have the floor. OK, thank you very much. Well, I'm so glad you asked that question, because I believe that we will win the ha- hold the ha- house and we will hold the house. By winning more seats, uh, we won the 40 seats. Then we lost some when Trump was on the ballot. We lost some in the Trump districts, uh, but we held, in, held enough seats to hold the House with him on the ballot. He's not on the ballot now. Oh, did I say his name? I didn't mean to. Oh, Lord. So she's wrong. I mean, <laughs> I haven't heard one smart political pundit or pollster at all say that the Democrats are going to hold the House. I don't know anybody who believes that. And we talked about last week how there was this um, this ABC News poll just out. And it and one of the things that they pointed out was that historically, if you have a president whose approval rating is over 50 percent, he tends to lose 14 seats in the midterm election following his ascendancy to the presidency. Fourteen. If his approval rating has been below 50 percent, on average, He'll lose three dozen seats. We have a president whose approval rating hovers between 38 and 42 percent at best, 42. So historical averages would tell you it's going to be a bloodbath. Best case scenario, they're going to lose two dozen. Right. Maybe maybe 20, maybe 18. Either way, they lose control. So that's nonsense. 
Um, but I guess best case scenario, she's trying to put a positive spin. One other telling thing about that, Dave, you know, like you can tell when somebody keeps stuttering and trying to get it out. Like maybe they know they know it's not true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she has a lot of tells with the way she speaks and, you know, the, the audience, the trained audience at the Colbert show to applaud when they when they're supposed to applaud. They don't they don't naturally laugh or naturally applaud. There's a mm-hmm. sign there and a guy that tells them when to do it. I mean, it's a bunch of clapping seals. They throw them some fish yep. and they applaud mm-hmm. and, and that's it. Um, you know, I would say one thing, which is that, you know, there's a feeling because of the numbers that you just uh, mentioned that there is going to be this massive uh, red wave. And I do sense that people have had it with the woke stuff and the gender stuff and all the what they're doing to the kids and, and all of the things that we've been talking about here. That being said, you really do have to give the devil his due. You know, we have a month to this election. There is some really, really weird stuff happening on the Russia-Ukraine front right now. You never know what they're going to do with suddenly announcing that that COVID, a new super strain is out or just some weird thing. And and I think we just have to caution about that because you don't want a lot of people just thinking, oh, you know, there's going to be this massive red wave. We won't vote. And then and then what Nancy wants to happen actually could happen. So, yes, traditionally speaking, the incumbent uh, on the off year elections, his party gets walloped. I really hope that happens. I look, it's crazy. My entire life, I, I was a lefty. I wrote a book defending liberalism. Uh, I was a Democrat. I'm, I'm a newly registered Republican here in the free state of Florida. Uh, but the Republicans, if, if America is going to continue with equality and not equity and with uh, non-racism instead of the neo-racism that they're ushering in, we, we have to get Republicans in the House and the Senate. It's as simple as that. All Republicans right, kind of suck, by the way. It doesn't mean that they're so great, but they're, oh, God, they're no. not as bad as the Democrats. That's the choice that Americans are faced with time and time again. But speaking of Republicans, um, also perhaps not being ideal. Uh, That brings us to Herschel Walker in Georgia and the stories breaking about him. Now, Herschel Walker seems like a perfectly affable man. Uh, I think a lot of people love him from his football days and so on. But his campaign is suffering some severe blows over the past 24 hours. And I wonder what your take is on it. First, the Daily Beast, which, of course, is out to get him, as they are all Republicans or anybody they think leans right, could be reporters, could be politicians, uh, dropped what is clearly oppo research that they've had in their back pocket on him for some time in a story suggesting that he impregnated a woman. He was not married, that he impregnated a woman and that he paid for her abortion. And they produced evidence that they claim is his handwriting on a get well card to the woman, the woman's testimonial and a $700, I think it's $700 check uh, that they say is from him to her to pay for it. He was on Hannity last night. Um, I think we have the soundbite. Yeah, it's soundbite 14. He denies it. Listen. So they're claiming that on September 12th of 2009, that the woman has a receipt for an abortion. They're claiming that five days later on September 17th, you sent a $700 check and that you sent it in a get well card. The get well card, it looks like it's included with your signature on in the article. Have you seen it? And is that your signature? Uh, I haven't seen it, uh, but you know, I can tell you, uh, I send out so many get well, uh, send out so much of anything, but I can tell you right now, I never asked anyone to get an abortion. I never paid for an abortion and it's a lie. Okay. He also said he randomly sends out money to people all the time. And so he doesn't remember whether he sent this woman money. For the record, he's a pro-life candidate who's, he wants abortion to be outlawed in Georgia, including rape and incest 
exceptions. So if this is true, it's a totally fair story because it shows hypocrisy. I mean, I it's definitely an Apple research dump and the Daily Beast clearly held it for their October surprise, but doesn't make it irrelevant if it's true because um, it shows his hypocrisy. Never, never mind, you know, character, which is always, always relevant, right? Um, because if you're running as a pro-lifer and you've paid for somebody's abortion, this could be an issue. By the way, same thing happened to Trump, right? Like when he was running, he said he'd be the most pro-life president we've ever had. It turned out to be true. And then there were reports that he had impregnating, impregnated women and paid for abortions. Who knows? Okay. So then the second shoe drops where Christian Walker, who I happen to freaking adore, who is Herschel Walker's son, and he is not some liberal Daily Beast journalist. He's the man's son. He is a MAGA Trump loving conservative who, like you, just celebrated his ability to flee California and UCLA in particular, where he towed the conservative line and took a lot of abuse. This guy's he's a hero, but he is he's about had it with his dad, Herschel Walker, and his public persona. He unleashed um, in some very powerful testimonials that he posted on his social media last night. Here's a sampling of it. Sot um, 15. I stayed silent when it came out that my father, Herschel Walker, had all these random kids across the country, none of whom he raised. And you know my favorite issue to talk about is father absence. Surprise, because it affected me. Family values, people. He has four kids, four different women, wasn't in the house raising one of them. He was out having sex with other women. The abortion card drops yesterday. It's literally his handwriting in the card. They say they have receipts, whatever. He gets on Twitter. He lies about it. Everything has been a lie. Don't lie about your life at the expense of me, my mom, and all of the people that you've affected throughout your life. You don't get to pretend you're some moral family guy. You don't get to pretend all these things. Talk policy. Talk normal. Do not lie. Final point, Dave, uh, Christian accuses Herschel Walker of threatening to kill his family members, uh, says you've made a mockery of our family. You are not a family man. When you left us to bang a bunch of women, you threatened to kill us and had us move six times in six months running from your violence. Uh, Herschel's response, I think so far, has been to basically say that he loves his son. So it's getting very ugly and unfortunate. This is, you know, let's just be honest, an important seat for Republicans in the upcoming midterms. So how how are Republicans who want to see the GOP retake the Senate to process all of this? Okay, so there's so much here. So first off, I would say no matter what has come out, no matter what clips you just showed or whatever else could come out, that that Herschel Walker would be a better senator than Raphael Warnock. That that's just number one. He's a radical like truly radical, wokester, leftist, progressive. That's one thing. But that that's not to defend any of the things that Herschel either did or didn't do. I would also say that Daily Beast is absolute trash, and this is what they do with everybody. Yeah. They've probably got dossiers on you and me. I mean, they are, they are really sort of the worst of the worst. Okay, let's put that aside. I would take a slightly different opinion on one thing, which was which is the hypocrisy thing. You know, all of us are hypocrites to some degree. No one has always lived up to their ideals at all times. And we also evolve on certain things. So if you are fully pro-life, to me, you'd still have to vote for Herschel Walker. Now, I think, Megan, you and I are somewhat similar on the abortion uh, topic. I'm not totally sure, but I, I would be okay with something around a 15-week uh, ban, and they could still have exceptions for the mother's health, uh, health. That would be my own personal belief. And that's, by the way, what we have here in Florida, which is thought of as this you know, far-right 
red state stronghold or something. We have something that actually is a compromise. That's far more of a compromise than having eight month abortions. Uh, so it is possible in my estimation that maybe he did evolve. Maybe he actually did pay for this abortion and then afterwards started thinking about abortion a little bit differently, right? I mean, I know women that have had abortions that then become tr you know, hugely pro-life because of the way they feel afterwards. So everyone can evolve in their own way. That's not to say that if he's lying about it and if he actually did write that and sign the check and all that, that he, he should get away scot-free for the lie because it would be better to just come out with it, say, yeah, I did this. Um, my, my politics have changed. I've evolved on this issue, et cetera. Um, but your question really was what do Republicans do? I mean, I think in essence, you still got to vote for the guy. I, I see no way around it. It's not like he's going to drop out and they're going to throw someone else in there that can no. suddenly win. No. Well, it reminds me in some ways of the Access Hollywood tape dropping in October before the 2016 election. It was so close to the actual vote. And, you know, even Trump's some in Trump's closest inner circle were saying you have to drop out or it's going to be the worst loss you've ever suffered. Didn't Reince Priebus say that to him? I think Kellyanne Conway told me yeah, that and wrote yeah. it in her book. And um, he didn't believe that. He believed that flawed though he may be, the GOP would get behind him and would prefer him to Hillary Clinton. And this is an interesting scenario, right? Because let's say people don't even believe the abortion allegation because they hate the Daily Beast. It's gonna be tough to dismiss Christian Walker. I mean, he's just so credible and it's his son. Um, but you look at the Trump situation. D does the pro-life lobby give two dams about whether Trump impregnated a woman and may or may not have had an abortion prior to appointing three Supreme Court justices who struck down Roe v. Wade. You know, this is the position we're in right now. And I don't know if it's new. You know, people talk about it like it's new, like Trump was this uniquely bad figure and people had to choose between character and policy for the first time in a unique way. I don't think that's true. Joe Biden, I mean, they choose what they want to believe, right? Joe Biden, according to Tara Reid, who I interviewed, Right. Molested her digitally in the halls of the U.S. Senate and then basically crapped all over her verbally and then ruined her life when she came forward to tell the story. Um, we could go down. We could be here all day if we talked about Bill mm -hmm. Clinton and what he did to these women. So I was like, is anybody so pure? What about Hillary Clinton? Want to talk about what an upstanding citizen she's been like? It's so I don't know. It's it's tough. It's tough for voters today because we're in an, a day and an age when we know more about them and their personal lives than we ever have before. Right. I mean, look, politicians have been doing all sorts of stuff for a long, long time, right? I mean, JFK was known to have women in and out of the White House and Marilyn Monroe and, and all, all sorts of stuff, right? So this has been going on forever. Uh, I'm curious, though, what do, you, what do you think on the hypocrisy front? Like, to me, it's that people will move past it, actually. I, I think it's not even to defend whether his personal. Oh, I, I think they would move public... past it. I'm just yeah, saying journalistically, I, I, yeah. this is not an unfounded hit piece that has no place in the pages of a paper like this is a fair game story for political world. I mean, th I would do this story on a Democrat who had said he was pro-life. Mm -hmm. And then we found out that this I mean, I think that's a fair game story. I'm just saying he, you as a consumer, you have to be smart and understand it's definitely an oppo research dump. They're doing it to hurt him. That's the difference between the Daily Beast and, you know, at least some honest reporters. They're doing it because they want to see him go down. Got to factor that in. There's been a long history of this kind of thing. And then it's up to the voters to decide whether that story or I do think more importantly, Christian Walker's testimonial matters. You know, there was a day when sort of the core base of the Republican Party prided itself on 
choosing men of character, women of character to be their standard bearers. And if it's true, you know, if Christian Walker's allegations are true, that he he threatened to kill his family members, that he made a mockery of them. He left the wife to, quote, bang a bunch of women, threatened to kill them and had them move six times in six months running from his violence um, and on and on. Like, can we really say that's irrelevant? Like, it's well, it's totally irrelevant. You know what's interesting? To, whether he should be elected. Right. So look, obviously, if all that stuff is true, it's not irrelevant. But one of the things that I was screaming about for years when I was on the left was why we had to stop calling everyone racists and bigots and Nazis and all this, because when the real bad guys came, we were never going to be able to see it. And I think mm. what's happening right now on the right is a little bit of what you're warning against, which is that they see so much insanity on the left. You know, we're going to chemically castrate kids and we're going to call everyone racist and we're going to do, you know, demand that people be fired if they don't get these injections. They're seeing so much legitimate, legitimate insanity on the left that they're probably willing to overlook almost anything from someone on the right. I actually am somewhat sympathetic to that. It's a, it's a kind of crappy thing to say in a way, but it's like, man, if the choice is that we will only have woke radical leftists or we will have these flawed, somewhat hypocritical, uh, potentially, you know, having done really bad stuff if what Christian Walker is saying is true, I think most people are just going to overlook it and be like, no, we have to vote yeah. for the guy. That's the choice we got. Well, think about, that, that, look, that, look that, at like, look, look, look at Mitt Romney, right? Mitt Romney probably has led as, as close to a right. totally upstanding life as you can get, but he's incredibly wobbly. He's a squish, you know, squish when it comes to firm conservative policies, as we've seen. And um, would you really, would you rather have him who's going to vote with the Democrats a lot of the time and be marching with Black Lives Matter, a group that we now know is basically fraudulent? Um, or would you rather have somebody like Herschel Walker, who may not be the greatest dad and family man, but was going to vote the way that you want? And this is like, I don't know. By the way, for the record, Raphael Warnock was accused by his wife of running her over with his car. <laughs> she says yeah. he ran her her foot over when he was angry. They were having a custody dispute. He denied it. Um, apparently the foot was not broken, so the police did not bring charges, but there is a police report documenting her allegation. I mean, great. Okay, great. Listen, I got to squeeze in a quick break. Dave, pause. Come back in two minutes. Dave Rubin continues right after this. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Dave Rubin of the Rubin Report is here, and as our resident gay expert, Dave, um, yeah. <laughs> we wanted to uh, ask you about... <laughs> There's a gay controversy in the news involving a film called Bros. Have you have you been following this? Yes, I have been following it. And uh, can they put gay expert under my name? Is that possible to do on the fly? I, my husband would probably disagree with that. And you really don't want to see me dance, but OK. OK, I, I don't know if I told you this, but I have a very funny story about this. So Doug and I were talking. We were out to dinner one time and with friends and we were talking about this one particular news anchor. And I'm like, I don't I don't really dig this guy. He's constantly talking about. And I whispered because we were in a restaurant and I it turns out I dropped the G in whispering it. And what I whispered was he's constantly on the air talking about 
his gayness <laughs> with the G, with the G gone. The dinner table had a really strange reaction. Ah, oh, now that. I got it. I got it. They were it. like, he is a news anchor's constantly. <laughs> okay. Hey, sorry. you got to do what you got to do for ratings, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Who would do such a thing? Yeah, an update for you on my anus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I got to get I'm pretty it sure together. I can figure out who that news anchor was. I'll bet you can. <laughs> All right. So anyway, there's this guy named Billy Eichner, who I I guess he's an actor and a comedian. He does very funny like shorts on on um, yeah. in social media, which I've enjoyed. But he released a movie called Bros. And here's a clip from it. OK, well, here it is. This is a little unexpected. But we are in a thruple situation. Yeah. You're in a thruple. Let me tell you what's progressive now. Being alone. I love my life. I love my freedom. I love my independence. That's kind of sad. That I don't want to be in a thruple. I don't even want to be in a couple. Bobby, I had sex with that 65-year-old. Jesus, he's ripped. I know. It's like they injected steroids into Dumbledore. So it bombed. I mean, I guess it was such a disaster that Billy Eichner felt the need to publicly comment on it. Usually just they just pretend it didn't bomb. You know, usually it's just right. like, oh, no, when you if you look at the digital numbers too, whatever, however they spin it, he's coming out and blaming, blaming people for being homophobic, that that's why they didn't go see the movie. So what do we make of it? Uh, I mean, look, I, I didn't see the movie. I don't really I'm not really into romantic comedies. And for the most part, women usually like romantic comedies. That's sort of how it is. Like women like romantic books and Fabio and things like that. Like that's how it works. <laughs> So if you remove the woman from the romantic comedy, I don't know how many women, say 20 to 30 year old, you know, single girls, uh, or maybe they have boyfriends or husbands or whatever, but they're, they're like, oh yes, let me go see this romantic comedy that has nothing to do with my life. So this has nothing to do with homophobia. You know, this thing where if a movie does not do well, or if the audiences don't like it, automatically, if you don't like Star Wars, somehow you're a racist. And if you don't like this movie, you're a homophobe. Also, by the way, people's habits when going to movies now are very, very different. People don't go out as much in general. Movies are released earlier on Apple TV and elsewhere. So usually people seem to be going to big block blockbusters like Jurassic Park. So maybe people are just waiting to see a movie like this with popcorn on the couch. But either way, you know, you can just look into this guy's Twitter history and it's like he has tweets in all caps you know, telling half of America to go F themselves because of abortion and calling people homophobes. So maybe people just aren't into him that much or just aren't into this. It, it's just mm. what it is. And maybe you it's not else? that good. I mean, maybe it's OK, but that that's probably a moot point. No, but this is why they don't they don't make romantic comedies anymore because they don't rate. They don't they don't collect viewers. I, as a consumer of romantic comedies, am sad about that fact. I would really like to see some of those fun romantic comedies that I grew up with in the 90s and, and before come back. But there's no audience for them. It's all Marvel and like the big superhero action stuff. And that stuff gets huge numbers. And now top. What are your, what are your big it. romantic comedies? Wh which ones do you like? Pretty Woman? Uh, I love the movie Someone Like You. Uh, I thought that was amazing. Uh, Never come saw. On. What? It's so good. Hugh Jackman, Ashley Judd. It was like Greg Kinnear, who I absolutely love. Anything with Greg Kinnear, I would watch. I really like the thriller genre, though. I have to tell you, it, we recently watched What Lies Beneath again with Michelle Pfeiffer. That is one of the greatest. Oh yeah, thrillers. and Harrison Ford. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, speaking of like murder, tear em up movies, um, uh, the, Jagged Edge, Glenn Close, great, great that's movie. Good. 
Um, but you see, you just fatal you just attraction. Threw... Is that a romantic comedy? It's a rom- it's a romance. <laughs> well, it's not a comedy. Did you? I mean, the bat scene. It's not a comedy. No, unless you're really twisted. I guess it's a comedy. But do you see the the point right there is what you just said. You're you're someone who likes these movies. I asked you which movie you like, and you immediately took me to a couple murder movies. So clearly, like these movies aren't doing what they used to do for people. You have a you know, point. I'm like, do you like romantic comedies? You're like, yeah, I love Silence of the Lambs. I'm sick and I need help, Dave. (laughs) No, you have a point. I'm trying to think now, but like the younger version of me, the 20 year old me, what ones did I like? Um, Oh, I liked speaking of Tom Cruise, uh, Jerry Maguire. That was a romantic movie, you know, comedy. ish. I guess I don't know. Yeah, that was good. I'm trying to think like, who are the big stars? Julia Roberts. Again, I'm going back to like the one where she was abused and she got away and she she had to change her identity. That was not a comedy. Yeah, that's not a comedy. <laughs> that wasn't a comedy. That was hostage or something. Sensing, sensing a theme. I think, working how about my best friend's here? wedding? I didn't like it, but I feel like you probably liked it. Uh, I think it's okay. It was okay. That, nah, I like that Dermot Mulrooney. He's cute. By the way, Megan, you know, what's interesting about this, for this guy to call, you know, half of America race homophobes or whatever, it's like Brokeback Mountain, which was an extremely good movie, you know, yeah. a period piece yes. dealing with some really, really complex issues in a time that that gay wasn't shoved in everyone's faces all the time. Um, it, I think it was one of the top 10 movies of the year. It won, it won several Oscars, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, I think Ang, I, Ang won director of the year on that one. So it's not that people have an aversion to this stuff. They, they may just not be into this movie. It's so true. And I really feel like, look, America's got its flaws and people are coming along in various departments. But anti-gay is not really one of the first things that comes to mind about America in 2022. Now, I know I mean, we kicked off this hour talking about your adoption of two babies. And I know you got some blowback from the right on that. Like they need to be in a house with a mom and a dad and all that. But that that I don't think that is America. I think some people can have that view and that's fine. It's a biblical sort of approach to marriage and and so on and so forth. However, I don't think this is a homophobic country and you can write off, you know, the failure of a movie uh, based on our bigotry. Megan, I live in deep red, scary Florida with Ron DeSantis as the governor. governor. And you know what? Every morning when we take Justin for a walk, uh, the neighbors come up and say hi to us. They get that there are two dads involved. I have not experienced homophobia. The only homophobia that I really experience is the crazy uh, lefties who are very angry that I'm not a leftist, so they somehow think I'm a sellout, much the same way if you take a a black conservative like Candace Owens or Larry Elder or Thomas Sowell, that they're somehow a sellout too. And by the way, that isn't to say that there aren't some legit issues that I think you and I have discussed once or twice around surrogacy and around same-sex parents. But I would say the proof is in the pudding, which is that, Justin is now nine weeks old. I don't think there is a kid in the United States of America and possibly on this planet Earth who has been surrounded by more love, more family members, mm. uh, gotten more attention, doing as great and smiling as much as, as this kid. So over time, I think you can get the people who might be, let's say, homophobes or whatever word you want to use. I think you can get them by hopefully living something approximate to a decent life and showing them that maybe things aren't as black and white as, as they see. That I agree with you wholeheartedly, because especially when, you know, when I grew up the first 10 years in the 1970s, m- most gay people were still closeted. I mean, they still felt the need to stay closeted because we were in a different place back then. So a lot of these people who are, you know, re- reacting 
uh, to like your surrogacy, maybe a little older, maybe they didn't have a lifetime of being exposed to gay couples who are extremely happy and loving toward the kids. And they'll they'll get there. I believe they'd get there on gay marriage if the Supreme Court hadn't done what it did in Obergefell. I think the American people would have gotten there anyway. Um, and I don't think this guy has. He, he, it's just part of his leftist America sucks knee jerk instinct. Wait, Megan, one, of one other point white, on this real quick. One other yeah. thing on this real quick is that, um, you know, we're constantly pushed with this LGBT stuff through corporations, right? Like, so they all have their gay pride month. And every time you open Apple TV, it's gay movies, this. So it's always pushed from a corporate perspective. In this case, when it's a movie that's just distributed and you have to see people going to it to get results, it's interesting that people aren't going to see it, right? It's one thing when the corporations put it on all of us all the time, we think that it's everywhere. Mm. But when when the proof is in the pudding on ticket sales, which they can't mess around with, uh, although they don't believe in math, uh, then suddenly we're getting a different mm. perspective on it. That's a good point. Well, I mean, there's it's no accident that Netflix is changing its programming agenda, getting rid of a lot of the woke stuff, canceling shows like the one from Meghan Markle and so on. They know it doesn't work. Quickly, did you see the Candace Owens appearance with uh, Kanye West at his fashion show? And they're both wearing a White Lives Matter t-shirt? <laughs> like, so, Listen, like, I bold. love Candace. She is one of my best friends. The girl knows how to poke the bear and Kanye <laughs> knows how to poke the bear and they poke the bear and they'll expose more hypocrisy and more and make more lefty heads explode. explode. So I have no problem with this. Yes, the bear is exploding. Kanye came out and said, um, let's see. I guess a couple of people walked out like Jaden Smith walked out. Um, but he came out and said something. Let me find it. I am yay. And everyone here knows I'm the leader. You can't ma- manage me. And the finally thing, final thing was um, everyone knows that Black Lives Matter was a scam. Now it's over. You're welcome. That's what he wrote on his Instagram story Tuesday morning. Always interesting. Fact check true. Dave Rubin, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> good to see you, Megan. need it. Just like every other new parent, especially of two babies. All right. God bless. We'll talk again soon. Coming up, Adam Carolla and Mark Garagos. And don't forget, folks, you can find the Megan Kelly show live on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. And the full video show and clips by subscribing to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Megan Kelly. Audio podcasts are on all platforms uh, for free. You can get our 400 show archives there as well. So check that out. Also, go to MeganKelly.com if you'd like to communicate with me directly. I've been reading some of your mails. I've been absolutely lovely. I love hearing from you. And we'll read some later this week. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams. Now celebrating 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams is the originator of everyone's favorite Lux Home Blanket. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort, as its ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are each made with premium materials. Get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code PODCAST15. We've got breaking news on Elon Musk and Twitter, which we'll get to in one second. But my next guests 
I want to introduce first. They are Adam Carolla and Mark Garagos. Adam is host of The Adam Carolla Show and author of the new book, Everything Reminds Me of Something. And Mark is a trial lawyer, famed trial attorney, and managing partner of Garagos and Garagos. Together, they host the Reasonable Doubt podcast, which is a lot of fun to listen to. Guys, welcome back. Well, thanks Thank for, for having, having us. <laughs> yeah, so this there's is, breaking this news is on our first favorite for story. Us. We're making for us to do it together for you. So thank you. <laughs> We're in a thruple. We talked about that in our last one. <laughs> We're having a thruple right now. Um, yeah. Guess what? Elon is buying Twitter after all. Uh, this is a legal matter, Mark, so I'll get your take on it. But basically, he surrendered in the lawsuit against Twitter, which is great for those of us who want to see him buy it, um, though he doesn't really want to. He has now uh, offered in writing to acquire Twitter at the original $54.20 per share. That's what he had offered initially before he decided to try to get out of the deal based on the alleged presence of too many bots on Twitter and so on. Um, just reading a quick write up on the on the story. I think it was Bloomberg. Uh, was explaining that Elon had hired two different experts uh, to actually take a look at the bot presence on Twitter, and both had come out with numbers that were very low. It was like 5.5% and 11%, which would not have been enough to queer the deal. And um, basically, he was going to lose in this in this Delaware Chancery Court, so he surrendered and went back to, okay, I'll buy it. So now he's going to buy it. I think that was the right legal move, Mark, but where does that leave us? Because you got a reluctant CEO taking over <laughs> this massive social media company. Hey, look, I, uh, Adam will tell you, we've been talking about this. I didn't understand the strategy. I know his lawyer. I've known his lawyer for a long time, Alex Spiro. And um, I, I did not think there was an end game here other than he had to buy it. And uh, yeah. I, I, uh, uh, I think maybe I should have bet on the stock market on it. But I think to some degree, the judge here really gets a shout out because she brooked no nonsense. She called them out every time they tried to pull some kind of a stunt. She sent a very ambitious trial schedule. Mm. Um, I mean, basically, they had 90 days. And uh, Twitter Twitter knew where the bodies were buried. And that, I think, is what ended up happening. They They, they realized that there was more downside than upside. It was probably better to just uh, go through and surrender. Hmm. So, I mean, the net result of this, Adam, I think is good for those of us who want more social media platforms not controlled by censorious hard lefties. Yeah, I agree. You know, in a weird way, it's bad for some of the upstart companies who are combating this because what's really created a lot of these companies, um, social media companies, sort of alternative social media companies or companies like the Daily Wire or even people like us or people like you is all the squeezing that's been done and all the control of the information that's been done that has created this alternative space for people to flourish in. So in a weird way, it's bad news, I'm assuming, for Rumble more than it's bad news for Elon Musk. Hmm. Well, it's bad news well, but for Elon why? Musk Rumble's are massively overpaid. I mean, Rumble is a video platform, right? So I can see the, um, uh, you know, like Getter or True Social or one of these things that's trying to directly compete uh, as a sort of a Twitter of the right. That would be bad. But I don't know. The video platforms and podcasts in the right wing or conservative or right leaning or just fair media. Uh, I don't know. I think it's good. Twitter, like 
Twitter's a unique form of communication. It's been completely dominated by people who have a far left agenda since its inception. Yeah, I I agree. I think anyone who's rational and fair minded who just sort of steps back agrees with what has gone on with Twitter over the past several years. And so I think it's a win for all who want uh, free speech. It it bothers me that so many people are irked by it <laughs> because and first off, this thing where they go, this billionaire comes in. Well, I have news for my friends on the left. Anyone who buys Twitter is going to have a few shekels in the bank. So anyone you get will, if George Soros bought Twitter, it would be a billionaire buying Twitter. So everyone's going to be a billionaire. I don't know when that moniker became so uh, pejorative. Well, it's mm-hmm. when capitalism became pejorative. So, right. Uh, you know, it's uh, a... Well, you know what this is, though? This is, you know, the, the biggest takeaway I have on this is it's, I'm not going to say it's the end of cancel culture, but it's a big blow to cancel culture because honestly, it's Twitter that got cancel culture started. That's the, the forum that blows up everything. And who knows? I mean, we'll soon find out to what extent the, you know, the, the evildoers who actually work at the company have been trying to blow up small scandals into big one and suppress more conservative leaning accounts from offering their opinions. And, you know, they're the ones who gin up stories and make them catch fire. We know that's true. I don't think that's going to happen under Elon Musk. And I do think this will be the dawn of a new day. Boy, you're, well, you're a very you're a very positive uh, thinking person. <laughs> Most summers are summer. What do you mean? No, no summers. I'm assuming you're a summer. I what, you know what's I a like summer? Fashion. Oh, I don't think so. I don't know what what does a summer look like? Like bright colors? I'm a New Yorker. They, I'm column of black pretty much all day every day. They look like you. You should be wearing more pastels. <laughs> I, I tell you, I stick out in Connecticut where I moved because the women here do wear color. They wear Lily Pulitzer. They wear you can they always tell that I only moved here a year ago because I've got my I mean, right now I've got my black. I'm literally I didn't dress up today. I don't know if you can see I've got my my black leggings. I've got my black shoes. I'm just like column flex is where I live my life. Well, I didn't say you dressed like a summer. I said you were a summer who's probably I, ignoring your summer roots. <laughs> in my sunny disposition. You know, it's the only way you can cover the news for a living because otherwise it, it ends too quickly and in ruination and despair. Um, okay, speaking of that, let's talk about Chris Cuomo. Uh, big news from your former place of business, Mark, on a couple of fronts, CNN. Number one, they're getting sued by Trump. And number two, Chris Cuomo, who worked there for many years, has just launched his new show, He started a podcast, which is not doing very well, and he's also doing a new show over on News Nation. And um, who's, by the way, can I tell some a scoop? Is isn't Ashley Banfield over there? And rumor has it she's also in Connecticut, and she's not too happy about this. Uh, Ashley will slap me for that, but I don't think Ashley's very happy about uh, this whole turn of events. Oh, I think there. she's not the only one. I've heard from other people inside News Nation who are just friends who are like, she's low. I mean, like, who's next? There was a rumor they were going to hire Bill O'Reilly. OK, great. <laughs> who else? Maybe Matt Lauer. I hear he's out of a job. Um, so so Chris Cuomo launches his show and does sort of a mea culpa. Um, well, I'll, I'll let you listen to it. Here he is. I've been humbled by what happened, and I'm also hungry to do better in a way that I've never been before. So this show is going to be different than what I've done in the past because I'm different. 
and I've spent a lot of time looking and listening on the sidelines. It's obvious to me that we need people in my position to do more, to not just play or even referee the game that is plaguing our politics and society. That means exposing the game, show when it's played, show how it's being played, and also to be more transparent about where my head is on the issues that we cover. Sure, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now this, it's so perfect that this would launch at the same time that Trump is suing CNN, because I, uh, if you've got to put a couple of things together. All of my comrades on the left have been saying this is the most bullshit, batshit lawsuit they've ever read. And I don't know if you've read it, Megan, but it's mm -hmm. a filed mm -hmm. in the Southern District of Florida, I believe. And he's suing CNN and he's saying that they used him as a uh, kind of a uh, uh, the evil empire, so to speak, to drive their own agenda. And then you have Chris here, Cuomo, saying, I'm going to do more than just referee. Uh, the, uh, there's a couple of interpretations here. Number one, you could make the argument that Trump has a legitimate beef with CNN, but he had more of a beef with CNN. Megan, you'll remember, you and I talked, I think, December of last year about, and I had told you, big changes were coming at CNN, and I had known mm -hmm. because all of my friends who were there were telling me this was going to be a wipeout. They weren't going to do this. Trump actually has, I think, a unbelievable legal case against CNN if if New York Times versus Sullivan gets reversed. Mm -hmm. And that may be the end game. And he, I know that in order to gin up his base, that he has to say it's going on right now before the November, that's the calculation before the November midterms. However, I think that there's a legitimate argument that prior to that you will find that whether it was Zucker or whether it was the news desk or anybody else, they had all kinds of um, intentions of taking him out of office, which I think takes you over that bar of malice. Mm. Well, OK, so just to update the audience on on what Mark's saying, New York Times versus Sullivan is basically the case that sets the standard for when you can sue for defamation, in particular against a public figure, you would have to show actual malice. And that's a very, very high bar. I mean, that's basically why most public figures cannot sue for defamation. It's just almost impossible to show they have actual malice in their hearts and they know what they're printing is false. So they just don't give a damn. And Trump is saying I think I, I think they've met it. <laughs> they've they've done it. If you look at CNN's reporting on me, they're there. And the second argument would be. And by the way, that's a ridiculously high bar. And New York Times versus Sullivan needs to be revisited because we should be more like England that has a lower bar to suing for defamation just because you're a public figure. Can they say? But I don't think because he's a politician. That's the thing. Like political commentary in this country gets protected like nothing else. That's like our most protected area of speech. That's what CNN is going to say it was doing. Yeah, except, you know, just this week, and the, the reason I started to think about it is uh, Lawrence Silberman died, who was uh, was 86 and is a kind of a towering figure in the conservative um, movement. And he is the one who presaged Heller, Second Amendment gun rights. He is also the one who last year authored an opinion saying that it was time to take the malice requirement out of New York Times versus Sullivan. And I'm thinking, wow, he dies and within hours, Trump is filing this lawsuit and he's filing it in federal court, which gives him a fast track to get to the U.S. Supreme Court. 
Um, you know, it could be, I, I can see a world in which New York Times versus Sullivan gets challenged based on this. And then it ties also in, I think, to what Adam has been on. Adam's been on the Nicholas Sandman and CNN um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, bandwagon well, early on. So you have private citizens and a minor in that case, Nicholas Sandman. So he's not a public figure, but they settled up with him. And then you have, you know, James O'Keefe and Veritas. He was not a private citizen. He was a public figure. So there's maybe some precedent in what goes on with Project Veritas versus, let's say, CNN or the uh, New York Times. Um, But then it becomes, uh, what is the definition of malice? If, If you say, I don't want you to get a second term as president. Is that malice? I would argue well, that. Well, let me show you. Okay. Malice. Let's give an example. And by the way, we're going to get back to Chris Cuomo because I have more to discuss on him and his <laughs> well, newfound think, humility. Well, I'll tie it together for you as well. All right. We're I not. Think... We'll go back to him. But okay. l- let's take a let's take a walk down the CNN lawsuit lane with President Trump, who says, for example, I'll short for him. What's with all the comparisons to Hitler? <laughs> um, <laughs> and man, he's got a point. He mentions a couple of examples in the lawsuit. We've pulled uh, uh, two of them. Here's SOT 22. When we have entered the realm of coups and Hitler, we have to pause for a moment. And SOT 23, similar. Trump is as destructive a person in this century as Hitler, Stalin, and Mao were in the last century. He may be responsible for many more million deaths than they were. <laughs> wow. Yeah, well, at least gas was three fifty a gallon in California. <laughs> so I do have a soft spot for the man now that's top $7. Um, and so saying you're Hit- Hitlerian or Putin's puppet, that's malice. I, I would assume that... I think you could I think you can make a, a an argument and this is I'll get back to Cuomo part of the reason that I think it's malice is people think of it in the 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 legal term but a legal term also has what if there's a profit motive and the profit motive is to raise ratings and and to press the gas on raising the ratings. I think that that yeah, can but be arguably, you malice. know, that guy was saying, like, I'm not defending his comments, but he that was opinion. It's protected opinion. If it's, it's protected opinion to say, I think Trump is a Hitler-esque figure or Obama is a Hitler-esque figure. You're allowed to say that in the United States of America. I can't get sued over that. Well, right. the, but what does CNN do? They fear discovery. Because yes. there will be a lot of smoking gun emails and texts and things and of that nature. It, that'll take it back to Chris Cuomo. When that'll Chris be fine. Cuomo, yeah, because Chris Cuomo has got, I know his lawyer very well. He's got, um, he's exceptional. There, It's going to be a reveal like you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't imagine. I know from being over there for, you know, decades that, internally there's a lot of people who are very upset and when you get into discovery that's when stuff starts coming out that's when you get people that traditionally it's whistleblowers it's it really isn't it's it's people who are upset don't like what was happening don't feel like they were treated fairly and they will go to the lawyers you're talking about the chris cuomo lawsuit that's ongoing against cnn for firing him because chris cuomo is making an entry into our discussion through many avenues so that's one thing with him but here i would like to point out for the record so chris cuomo goes on his show on news nation and says that he's been humbled bullshit i don't believe that for <laughs> one second he has not been humbled at all um I, he's angry at cnn 
and how they treated him. And he's now found another place to work. And that's okay. Everybody needs to pay the bills. But he's already lying. Starting off by lying about it is not a good way to start. Um, No acknowledgement of really what he actually did when smearing the women who are accusing his brother, actively working to dig up, you know, opposition packets on them, then lying about it to his audience, trying to claim that he was some big me tour advocate, you know, like I care deeply about these issues. You care deeply about smearing the women who raised them. Is that like because that I anyway, that's his history. He goes out there and tries to say, like, he's going to be the the referee, like he is now going to be the moderate voice of reason because we've gotten too crazy partisan. Uh, He vows to appeal to the middle. We are being manipulated by manufactured division that only works to advantage the interests of the fringe and the fake. This is the same man who came out and said um, that Trump uh, and his efforts to strip people of color of their rights to vote. I'm sorry. What, what specifically was the boldest attempt since the era of Jim Crow to z- disenfranchise black voters? OK, now this one wants to say, I I will appeal to the middle. Listen to me. He goes on and on. I mean, like I could go down the list of the hardcore leftist um positions of Chris Cuomo went after the senators who voted against impeachment. They don't understand the Constitution so much for being for it. He's never seen a party of a president become more partisan or be more partisan than the Republicans under President Trump. No one's going to listen to him. What what right leaning person is going to say, I accept Chris Cuomo as my voice of the middle who's not going to, quote, manipulate me by manufactured division. Bullshit. A certain male gesture comes to mind. Wow. (laughs) I I get I totally understand the passion of it, because wouldn't it have been more authentic, so to speak, if he had just said, hey, it was my brother. You know, I I was doing I was doing my brother's bit. And by the way, Mm -hmm. Zucker and Zucker's lover had said that it was okay, And they were on board as well. I mean, if you're going to be transparent. Oh, I'm not the whole thing. He should have taken himself off the air if he's going to help the brother. Okay, take yourself off the air. Go ahead, Adam. I was going to say, just say I'm Italian. It's my brother. What do you want from me? I'm afraid of you. As you kill me if I as, if I didn't if I didn't protect as, him. Yeah, I I don't I don't understand this thought where guys that are clearly partisan change their minds sort of midstream in life. I don't know how old Chris is, later forties, early fifties. I f- I feel the same way about politicians you know, who are in their 70s and 80s now, who at age 67 were dead set against gay marriage, but they took a long look in the mirror or the border or gun rights or whatever it is. I I don't believe that people actually change their mind this far off in life. And I always think about it. What have you changed your mind on after the age of 47 and a half? The answer for me is nothing. Maybe hummus. Maybe I didn't like hummus as much as I should have in my 20s. And I've kind of turned the corner. But other than food, certain food selections, curry and hummus, for instance, I've not changed my mind politically on anything. I think the same way I thought when I first hit the radio in my very early 30s. So he's pandering. But to whom? 
I, I don't know. Who's Wait, so bl- so I've got to follow up because in our first hour, we talked with um, Dave Rubin about the Herschel Walker news. And he's, you know, been accused by the Daily Beast of having in 2009 paid for a girlfriend's abortion. And he's he's running as a pro-life candidate who wants abortion to be illegal in all circumstances, including no rape or incest exception. And Dave Rubin was saying, you never know. It's 2022 now. Maybe he changed his mind from 2009. Herschel denies that this is true. But then his son came out and was like, Dad's a dirtbag. We all knew it and told him not to run, but he did it anyway. Um, So Dave was like, maybe he changes his mind. I don't know. Like, I think Herschel's 57. So to your point, like, do you do you believe he might have actually changed his mind on abortion from then to now? No, I think there's a standard that we're trying to hold politicians to that is too high, which is I believe in law and order. But if a cop pulls me over, if I knew he would take a hundred bucks to go away, I would gladly do it. And then I would get back to talking about law and order. (laughs) And I feel it's that way. You know, I think everyone should eat a a healthy diet and I should be able to eat a burger and fries. Like uh, there's that. That's how human beings are wired. So I believe he wanted this person to have an abortion. I, I think you can, I think both thoughts can exist in the same skull. I think you can go for me. I would like this person to have an abortion, but I'm against abortion sort of overall, which is if he was more, you know, inclined to tell the truth, then he would say it that way. Hmm. I don't know. This is like right now he's denying it entirely. So there's no neither one of those is available to him. Uh, Listen, before we get off the media, I've got to ask you guys something else. Trevor Noah's going away. I, I can see the tears in your soda can, Adam. Trevor Noah's show, after seven years, he's going away. They're going to find a replacement. Um, and he's sort of making it sound like it was his choice. He realized some things during the pandemic. He was a ratings killer. That's the truth. That show went down into the toilet with Trevor Noah at the helm. It wasn't funny. Nobody ever laughed. And he wasn't the lead political commentator like a Colbert was either. Um, apparently, we've pulled an example of his unfunniness. Here's a little bit of why we believe the show failed. This is SOT 21. I know this Sunday was sad for many churchgoers, but for the Catholic Church, this is a good thing. You know, keeping the priests separate from their congregation might not be the worst idea. Sorry, guys. At, at some point, I feel like we need to stop calling it a church and start calling it what it is. A molesting club with an opening prayer. Because that's what it feels like. Donald Trump will leave a mark on this country for decades to come. Yeah. It's like it's not going to go away. It's like he's giving America judicial herpes. <laughs> yeah, when it came to Kavanaugh and the accusations, they were only allowed to interview 11 specific people and no one else. Yeah. It's not something you do when you're confident in someone's innocence. Right? You just be like, interview anyone. But he you're like, ah, just them, just them. Yeah, it's like Jeffrey Epstein saying, I have nothing to hide. Look anywhere except the sex dungeon. Don't look in the sex dungeon. Yeah. I, I mean, Adam, you've done stand up. That's not funny. Yeah. No. Um, so here's the deal. He's not an untalented person, but I think as we've seen time and time again, especially for comedians, their politics get a grip on them. And then it turns funny people into unfunny people because they have to thread this political needle. So it ends up 
like Lenny Bruce. He's a funny guy, but he ended up standing on stage reading court transcripts for the last part of his career, which then makes him unfunny. Uh, also, I don't have a lot of love for Trevor Noah because he came. I don't like anybody who comes to this country from a bad place. He's a South African and he comes here and then just bad this country and tries to talk about how it's as bad or worse than wherever, wherever somebody came from. I, I, he wants I, reparations. That, yeah, it's for me, that's uh, I, it, I it's an in it's it makes you an ingrate and I cannot. I cannot stand that. So he has ability and maybe getting away from this platform will free him up to get in touch with his inner comedian and less his political pundit side. Mm, don't count on it. I mean, I was just going to say, you, I don't think you I don't think uh, Megan's convinced. No, well, look, what, look what happened <laughs> she, to John Stewart. I could, hear, I could hear the shaking of the head. Oh, come on. He's a partisan hack masquerading as a comedian. He surrendered to his partisan hackery, just like Colbert did. Even Jimmy Kimmel. Look what happened to him after they criticized him for rubbing Trump's head. It was over. Right. But what I'm not Kimmel Fallon. Well, what what I'm saying is, is when Mark Garagos has to defend someone, he becomes a partisan hack because that's his job. That's yes. the platform. Yeah. And then later on, you can have a scotch with Mark Garagos and have a laugh. So maybe yes. some of these comedians can get off of their platform and stop defending. I don't know why they thought it was incumbent upon them to defend one side or attack another side, but it's a, it's, it's a, a game that they slid into. Maybe if you and I happen to know a lot of these people personally. I was say, aren't you like Once best you, friends with Jimmy what, Kimmel? Yes, when you remove them from what their perceived platform and mission is, they become gregarious, easygoing, knock-around guys. So mm. if Trevor, and you're backing my theory, Megan, which is if you get Trevor away, get him out of the courtroom and get him onto a comedy stage, he may slide back into comedian mode. But no, I'm not backing your theory because I believe <laughs> I, I believe that you and Jimmy Kimmel can have good times together as humans, as as buddies, because I have most of my friends disagree with me political on, on many issues. And we don't talk politics when we're together. We have so many other things that we can discuss and we generally try to avoid politics. But I think Jimmy Kimmel put on stage doing stand up is not going to steer clear of politics and he's going to be still alienating to people who are on the right. And Trevor Noah, yeah, even more so because he at least Kimmel makes people laugh occasionally. I was Trevor just going to say Jimmy's funny. Jimmy's funny. <laughs> Jimmy is funny. And the three of us were actually at a table recently within the last 60 days where he was incredibly funny. Yeah, I think I will offer a little grace to Trevor and say that if he goes back to his roots of stand up and sticks with the jokes, then he may go back to that. I talk a lot of politics with Mark Garagos. I talk a lot of politics on my podcast. But when I go up to do stand up, I tell jokes yeah. and so it's a novel. different it's a different modality. <laughs> Very bold. I mean, just so you have yeah. the perspective uh, when Stewart was hosting it at its helm. And by the way, uh, and I don't I'm not a fan of John Stewart's, but in 2013, it was pre Trump. I always point out like we were number one in the Kelly file 
back when it was hard to put a rating on the board, back when we had the boring Obama in the office, <laughs> not the exciting, dynamic Trump, where all you had to do was put a camera on the man and you would break records uh, in any event. So to John Stewart's credit, he brought The Daily Show, this comedy central show, to averaging 2.5 million nightly viewers in 2013. I mean, that's really meteoric. And then during Noah's tenure, um, initially it averaged a bit north of 800,000 nightly viewers, still, you know, a horrendous drop, but it's since lost much of his audience. This is via New York Post and uh, regularly falls below 400,000 viewers. That is not how you keep your job. And I I'm going to go right out there and say this is not his decision. It wasn't covid. They want to find somebody who can put numbers on the board. What the hell is the point of having a show if you can't put the numbers on the board? It's a business. It's not, you know, any of it. Okay. Um, let's pause there. We'll do a quick break and much, much more with Adam and Mark right after this quick break. I'm going to ask them if dickmorris.com is right. Hillary Clinton is running. OMG. Tillamook chocolate collection ice cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate (laughs) is more chocolate. Tillamook chocolate collection ice cream. Extraordinary dairy. All right. So DickMorris.com, you had to say that when he came on Fox. Like if you didn't say, if you didn't promote his website, <laughs> very angry. So we used to call him DickMorris.com. Um, and we used to call Elizabeth Warren Chief Lies a lot. Anyway, um, <laughs> wow. DickMorris.com <laughs> is predicting that Hillary is setting up a 2024 presidential bid. He noticed that she, this is in the New York Post, he noticed that she um, has been remarking Americans, quote, do not believe in open borders, among other sort of more centrist comments. And he says these are all signals that she is going to be the, quote, moderate candidate for president. She's going to say after the election, see, the left cost us the House and the Senate. If we stay with a left wing candidate in 2024, we're going to lose the White House. I'm the only one who will tack to the center and give us a chance at victory. And he says, I know this because, quote, it's the strategy I designed for Bill Clinton in 1992 when he won the Democratic nomination. He goes on. Once Biden pulls out, the polling will show that the Democrats are leaning towards some crazy radicals like Governor Newsom, Bernie Sanders, maybe even AOC. And that will drive the Democratic Party leaders to go to Hillary and say, please run again. We need you to save us from the crazy left. That's the thing about dickmorris.com. The more you listen to him, the more he starts to make sense. You start out like his crazy talk and then you're like, wait, he might be onto something. What do you guys think? Well, uh, first off, I think Biden should have pulled out before he had Hunter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. You did not. I just said it because it came into my head. (laughs) My God. And what am I supposed to do? I think there's a lot of truth to that statement. Um, All right. So what Hillary's not taught, she's not saying is back in the day with her and Bill, there wasn't this crazy left that was pulling them into the abyss. You know, Biden made the same promise that Hillary's making. Hey, I'm established person, slow and steady, Uncle Joe. You know, I'm just going to bring us all back to the center. And then he got elected and then he got yanked hard to the left. 
So who's to say that Hillary's not going to get yanked hard to the left running on a sort of centrist platform, number one. Number two, you know, it's going to be a really interesting sell or attempt at a sell, which is, and she's already working the Trump Hitlerian, you know, at his rallies, young men with their hands in the air, sort of um, Hitler youth-esque and all that. They're going to try to work this angle, which is if you elect Trump, we're all going to be living under the boot of a Hitlerian character. That's something you can try to sell before he was elected president. But mm. he was elected president. He was a president for four years, and we didn't live under the boot of oppression. So how are they going to spin that? It'll be interesting watching them try. I don't think she's done. I, I think he might be right that she sees herself as the savior, as the moderate voice. She feels entitled. We all know she thinks that the 2016 election was stolen from her. Yesterday I was saying Stacey Abrams was the original election denier. That's not true. It was really Hillary. Um, and she might she might do it. She might actually do it. Well, <laughs> we're sitting here in California where our governor is all but I, every time he denies that he's running, all you have to do is wake up in the morning and see one of his actions and you know he's running. I mean, Newsom is clearly running for president. I mean, well, he no, said, I'm going to run if Biden doesn't. The, the question yeah. is whether Biden, if, because Biden actually just said yesterday he's going to run. Now, if that's true, right. he, and, he could still get by primaries. the way. Yeah, Biden's not going to run with Kamala, so that's uh, that's never going to happen. It's going to be awkward. You go, oh, what right. Do you well, you know what could happen? Out? I can see a world where Karen Bass wins the mayorship here against Rick Caruso in L.A. because L.A. is determined to light itself on fire. And then he swaps out Karen Bass for mm. Kamala. Because uh, you gotta uh, you got to stay diverse. Well, I, I just think that there's no way if Biden were to run that he could jettison her without replacing her with Karen Bass. He was much better off putting Karen Bass in there in the first place. But instead, if she wins the may the mayoral race, then she be the mayor of L.A. She'll have a higher profile. I can see that. I just don't think he's mm. going to run. I just That's an think interesting point. at the end I of don't. the day, he's not going to run. No, I'm starting he to really doubt it, too. He can't walk. How's he going to run? He can't leave a stage without Jill telling him which direction to exit. So it's ironic that we use this term run. Is he going to run? He's not running. I don't think he's going to run. I don't think they're going to want him to run. I think there's going to be a horribly uncomfortable conversation about him not running. And then Kamala's going to stand up and they're going to go, you're not running either. Mm. We need to get somebody who has smacks of some competence in well, in this race also, is there anybody as a guy who's not a youngster anymore either have you ever met anybody who hits their 80s and even if they're retired and they don't have the biggest job in the world you don't watch a male especially a male kind of fall off a cliff after they i've hit got their, somebody I mean, i've got know? somebody alan dershowitz I'm not kidding. Yeah. He's still firing on all cylinders. He's I think he's 86. It's madness that he is still <laughs> together and doing his podcast. And I'm still learning from him. I'm listening to his you know, constitutional analysis. He never forgets a case. He can bring you back to everything. He's, and he's like you, Mark. He's touched every big case ever known to man. You know, it's like, oh, I defended him and I defended her. I, like everything. I'll give you that. He's one of the he would be the outlier.
Yeah, but it, it is an outlier situation. And Joe Biden is no Alan Dershowitz. So m- you mentioned your governor, Newsom. Um, from the look of it, he's doing a great job. I heard you guys discussing uh, homeless problem, the homeless problem in uh, L.A. He solved and on that. Ventura, he said, Ventura right. Boulevard, no less, which I realize we got a mayoral ship, too. But um, this is a situation in California under Governor Newsom's rule where a homeless man makes a daily habit of throwing feces at the local business owners. Um, here's a little bit from, I think, is it a news report? Yeah, from Fox 11, SOT 20. Like this man who openly defecates on Ventura Boulevard and on this day tosses a bag of his bodily waste onto business owner Paul Scrivano's SUV. Oh my God, oh my Every God. Every single day. Every single morning, I'm wiping that off my property before I have to do business. Sir, why are you throwing feces at people? Who? You threw feces at this gentleman. This guy has to understand. I'm half paralyzed. I'm blind. I have no card for nine years. We offer to help the man with services for the homeless, but... Sir, do you need help? The city is offering help. Every day is like another adventure of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It is like a psych, literally a psych ward. Oh, my God. I hadn't seen that. See, that a couple things. For the young listeners, if if people accuse you of throwing feces, you saying, I don't own a car, (laughs) probably not relevant, right, Mark? I'm not in a courtroom. Objection. Half paralyzed uh, is another another bad argument. Uh, I'm a Pisces or Gemini. These are all bad. The only acceptable answer is, is he threw a sack of feces at me right before you guys showed up. Well, it, you know, this was on Ventura Boulevard, Megan. So that's in the heart of the valley. That's kind of the valley's Rodeo Drive, if you will. And that's happening there. We're down in downtown LA. And I've talked endlessly on our podcast about Thursday guy or Dr. Alien or the guys that I find that are shooting up every morning as I have to try to get into the building who tell me I'm not shooting up. Uh, I'm diabetic. Um, you know, the it's become a... I always call it an outdoor insane asylum. But the bigger picture, I think, as it pertains to Governor Newsom, is his failure to recognize what the problem is. Not that there is homelessness, but who are the homeless? I had him on my podcast nine years ago, and I told him flat out, and everyone can look it up, I said, these are junkies and these are people that have severe mental issues and or both. And then he told me the true face of homelessness, the real face of homelessness was the mother who was getting minimum wage uh, and she was a mother of three and she was divorced. And that's who the face of homelessness was. Later on, there's a clip that then started to make the rounds of him in 08 saying he had a 10 year plan to cure homelessness, which is more home. So he said, you know, people of food insecurities don't have food and people without the shoe list need shoes and thus the homeless need homes. But this guy doesn't need a condominium in Sherman Oaks. This guy mm-hmm. needs an institution somewhere far away from where I live. Yes. Uh, this notion that you can take homeless people and give them a home and solve the problem is insane. But uh, Here's a thought experiment. Homes are very expensive in Southern California. So where he was 
in Studio City or Sherman Oaks or whatever off of Ventura Boulevard. The average price home there is probably $1.4 million, maybe $1.7 million. Very expensive. Okay, so this guy cannot afford that home. What if that home was $80,000? Do you think this guy could waltz into the bank, do the proper paperwork and get a loan showing pay stubs? I mean, the point is, is yes, the price of the homes are too expensive. If the homes were 10 grand, he wouldn't qualify and couldn't maintain that home and you it would be the worst neighbor ever to move in your neighborhood. So is it the price of a home or is it the fact that these guys are hooked on everything and there's mental issues, which somehow the left just in the last 10 minutes has caught on to? Mm. Yeah, no, these are all very good points. Um, that guy is not going to stop until the city makes him stop and they wouldn't make him stop until Fox 11 did that report. And then suddenly the city took an interest. Oh, what a shock. Uh, originally, the, the response from the authorities was like, he's homeless. You know, the homeless need help. Like <laughs> that guy getting shit thrown at him every day needs help, too. And he's actually a tax paying, responsible member of your community. But OK, um, I want to ask you quickly about this, Mark, because I think this is like possibly one of our answers in fighting back against woke politicians and cancel culture and all the nonsense. And I loved it. it National Review reporting that federal judge, uh, he's on the Fifth Circuit, uh, James Ho of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit announcing publicly that he is no longer going to hire law clerks from Yale Law School. And he really went off on it. He cited a number of high profile examples of speakers being shouted down or censored at law schools across the country. But he singled out Yale as, quote, one particular law school where cancellations and disruptions seem to occur with special frequency. He went on Yale not only tolerates the cancellation of views, it actively practices it. Starting today, I will no longer hire law clerks from Yale Law School, and I hope other judges join me as well. So what do you what do you make of this way of fighting back? You know, I understand the argument against it, meaning what if I applied to Yale, got into Yale's uh, perennially ranked one of the top uh, five law schools, and I wasn't one of the ones shouting people down or uh, protesting anybody who doesn't uh, fit the agenda. But at the same time, unless people start to push back against that, it, mm. it's got a very pernicious um, uh, effect and it's very toxic. And, you know, the guy that I had mentioned who just passed away, um, Silberman, he was one of the first ones to call out Yale for that very uh, problem. And um, and I think it's helpful. And, and by the way, I think you could, for clerkships, I don't know why clerkships are limited to just a very small group of law schools to begin with. I think that that insular culture is a problem as well. So I think so, it's a it's a wonderful first step to try to democratize since everybody wants to democratize. It's a wonderful first step to democratize the law. Well, here's the problem, as I see it, and I love the sentiment, but I've spoken to the Federalist Society at Yale Law School, and these are great young people who are fighting the good fight against a massive tide that's going the other way. They are in the belly of the beast. So I would I would encourage Judge Ho to continue hiring from the Federalist Society out of Yale Law School, which is more, you know, young, up and coming conservative thinkers who are likely to clerk for, you know, a justice, a Chief Justice Roberts, but maybe not a Justice Kagan. Um, so it seems I, like I they, shouldn't if ha- I could, they shouldn't have to uh, pay, the pay the price. Go ahead, Adam. Weigh in. Maybe this is sort of a ship them to Martha's Vineyard approach to the to this problem, which is 
shipping 50 illegal aliens to Martha's Vineyard does not alleviate the border, but it, it starts a conversation and it gets some attention. And so mm-hmm. it seems like what Judge Ho here is doing is saying, here's this thing. It's not going to fix the problem. And yes, maybe some people will be used as sort of political pawns in, in the execution of this, but at least we're talking about it now. Mm. He did go on to say the following. I think you guys would agree. Uh, all too often, law schools appear to be run by the mob, whether out of sympathy or spinelessness. I like this judge. Colleges aren't <laughs> teaching students how to agree to disagree. They're teaching students how to destroy and then they're launching them into the world. Ah, that's exactly right. How to destroy. So we need to get them in front of judges like Judge Ho, the other side. We need the crazy leftists to wind up in front of judges like this. Well, so they you know, there is behave. a we, there is a comparison here. I mean, you take a look at law and medicine, which are, you know, traditionally for generations have been where our best and our brightest are supposed to go, at least if you're Armenian and your parents are saying you got to be a doctor or a lawyer. Um, there's you know, we have a law that was just signed into law here in California, where if you speak misinformation specifically about COVID-19, you can be disciplined and have your license revoked. And so messed that, up. that to me is as scary as what we're talking about in the law as well. But that's kind of it's once again, if you want to say pernicious, uh, it's really quite quite authoritarian. I don't think it's in place for COVID-19 because we're starting to get the facts about COVID-19. I mean, we're getting how effective masks are, how ineffective uh, vaxes are, and many, many of the stuff, many of the stuff, the crap they were peddling 18 months ago has been vetted and given a Viking, Viking funeral. I think it's a little more insidious. I think it's these laws are in place for the next one. That is not going to be COVID-19. Mm. It'll be something else and we'll reset. There'll be the same group of doctors going, wait a minute, lockdowns don't work or don't shut the schools or this ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine maybe, or some version of that may be effective and they will shut down that. You know, it's interesting because I think the text says COVID-19 of the bill that he signed into law and all you would have to do, and this happens in the law, Megan will tell you all the time, the next uh, uh, to your theory, the next legislative session, you just do an amendment and you add, mm. you strike out COVID-19 and you put whatever the next, uh, you know, uh, uh, area of information that you want. Uh, yeah, or or a similar public health crisis, right. which That's then next right. thing we know now will be covered. BLM, yeah. right? They call that Cookie a public box, health crisis. Whatever. You yeah. can't say anything about that. Even here in New York City, you're not allowed to say the term illegal immigrant if you have Speaking of malice, if you have malice in your heart, if you say it in a way that's supposed to be like a put down, like, well, Adam is Adam is violated. How many times did you hear the words homeless? It's not homeless. It's unhoused. Oh, unhoused. That's right. The unhoused community. Challenged. Well, I I will say that he's 100 percent right about what's happening in law schools. And that's why we had a leaked Supreme Court decision on the Dobbs decision. Right. And by the way, where's that investigation? Still nothing despite two justices saying they thought it was wrapping up, that they were going to have a report. It better not have wrapped up without with them not declaring to the rest of us what happened. Quickly, before we go, Mark, is there any possibility they know who the leaker is and they just managed to keep it quiet? 
Yes, I think there's a distinct possibility. There's, uh, there's absolutely, in my mind, knowing what I know about these kinds of things and how they're kept, there's a, you've got a small universe of people who had access and they can try, they can track it. I, I think that they know. We need an in-depth report on what happened to all of those clerks. And let's find out which one is not with some fancy white shoe law firm. Guys, great to see you. Adam and Mark, what a pleasure. Come back soon. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Megan. Thanks to all of you for joining us today. I want to tell you that I've been getting great emails over at MeganKelly.com. If you sign up there, you can email me and um, I may read them on the show. Kent Carlson sent a great one saying loves the show, savors it, and talked about the message I had in the newsletter or whatever we're calling it. Uh, we sent it out on Friday's American News Minute and uh, about my son Yates and his birthday. Right, So I shared this personal story and he writes back about 20 years ago, I was fortunate to be given a short book called Time Shifting by Stefan Reichschafen. I hope I said that right. And said, this book has helped to change my life by slowing time figuratively, of course, and goes on from there. I'm definitely going to download this book. Thank you for the email, for subscribing to American News Minute, Kent. And thanks to all of you for listening tomorrow. Gad sad. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. Imagine bold, naturally aged Tillamook cheddar slices melting over a burger eating thick-cut cheddar shreds straight from the bag. Ah, it's nice to dream about cheese for a bit. Tillamook Cheddar, extraordinary dairy. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.